So hello and welcome back to the Middlemen podcast. After well, it's just been crazy for sport, really, with the Winter Olympics, the time of year where we all fall in love with bobsleighing and <laughs> everything else that goes on there, skiing, and um, I love the. It's not shuffleboarding. What is it? It's the curling. Curling. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I love the curling. Um, have you been watching it? I, I haven't yet because I, I'm a bit. The thing is, I'm a bit uncommitted with the uh, with the Olympics. I've, I I must confess. No, do you know what I mean? It's fine. Um, but no, the the winter one is fun. Like I'll catch it on live TV sometimes, and they're just like people are just on their two skis doing like quadruple backflips. I'm like I'm just sat here on my on my sofa watching it, watching these pro like proper world class <laughs> athletes go spinning in in uh, where are they at Beijing? Yeah, Beijing. I was waiting for yeah. Forrest Forrest Lester, and before Forrest Lester, it was the figure skating. Right. On I think it was BBC One or BBC Two. It's so funny watching it. Yeah, and it's you just crazy, think back to like going to the motor point in Nottingham and giving it a go and the ice the ice centre in Nottingham and try and compare yourself to them. It's yeah, impossible. exactly. I am more like Bambi than I am a figure skater on ice. Bambi on ice. That. Bambi on ice. Well you're better in the ring. Um <laughs> Max said a sports ground for those videos. But loads going on in the boxing world and that, that's where we should start. Chris yep. Eubank Jr. settling for a unanimous decision, uh, as he beat Liam Williams in Cardiff on Saturday night. Loads to discuss about this fight uh, Williams despite being knocked down four times survived the full 12 rounds there was no chance of any upset though really on the judges scorecards if you watch the fight a dominant Eubank performance his hand speed as you quite rightly mentioned on Twitter was remarkable mm. um, yet he couldn't secure a knockout and first off let's make no bones about it the better man won in the night that's my opinion anyway Williams at times looked like a rabbit in the headlights uh, and Eubank when well, he started and ended the bout with knockdowns um, where do you want to begin because there is so much to discuss I, th- I think if we start with whether or not you believe Eubank saying that he purposely dragged out the fight uh, <laughs> to punish William Williams I think that's the best place to start because yeah. to me that just sounds like an excuse Johnny Nelson said he doesn't believe it I don't believe it this was the quote from Chris Eubank if I stepped on the gas at any point in the fight he would have been gone I'm sorry yeah exactly no professional <laughs> boxer resist the chance of a knockout it, it doesn't happen it just doesn't and to me Eubank saying that all, all it does it, it en- encourages and fuels his critics even more so Max do you believe him that he wanted to punish Williams by dragging out that uh, fight it's just do you know what I mean when you've got especially a company man like Johnny Nelson who more of the time is going to side with the fighters and what they say in interviews you know you said something wrong if Johnny Nelson ain't buying it do you know what I mean mm. you like you need to sort out how you're coming across in your interviews and what you're saying and it is an excuse um, I don't know like there's no point in saying that because the fans watched the fight everyone watched it everyone who watched it knows how he performed and knows that that is not the case so what is the point in saying it? it's not like you it's not like he's saying that to a stadium of people who didn't just watch him for 12 rounds everyone saw what he was doing so no they knew he couldn't finish the fight and yeah he just had a very uh I don't know, I feel like his ability just fluctuated throughout the fight. Like, as you said, started and finished it really strong. And then, obviously, Liam's our boy. We know how tough he is. Everyone, I think a lot of people were getting too excited. Obviously, four knockdowns, you know, you're doing something wrong if, if you're... He's got real yourself. heart, hasn't he? He's got real heart and real passion, but on, the, the, on the night. Yeah, I think he just got, as you said, with a rabbit in the headlights, he got mm-hmm. a bit a bit shocked, a bit stunned too early on. Maybe didn't expect that, that level of uh, hand speed from... Uh, from Eubank and before he knew it you know he was, he was on the floor a couple of times but he done well to recover and grow into the fight and then he was winning a lot of those middle rounds so fair play to him his, his heart is uh, amazing because a lot of people will just 
you know you get knocked down four times you think oh even if I even if I grow back into this fight I'm not winning it but that's not Williams's mentality he's just there to fight so fair play to him but yeah you can see the influence that Roy Jones has had on, on Eubank as a fighter now the way he had just had his left hand on the hip and he just was able to fire the check off and you know they weren't even as few of those knockdowns weren't even knockdowns that looked like they had hurt, had hurt Liam they just were flashy ones just took his balance away before he knew it and do you know what I mean? Had had him up on the scorecards and had Liam in a, in a sticky position for the rest of the fight. So, do you think though Chris has, has always got the advantage of having won? His dad, Roy Jones Jr. He he's had the boxing life throughout his whole life. He's got a great corner and people uh, people know who he is. He's he's already got the advantage going into a fight. Liam yeah. Williams. If you're not a boxing fan, I don't know how many people would know who Liam Williams yeah. is. You say Chris Eubank Jr. Everyone knows who he is. It's a household name, isn't it? At the end of mm. the day and. You know, you're saying about his team that he's got around him with his dad. He's got a boxing legend in... Well, I mean, two boxing legends, his dad and Roy Jones. Um, he's set up for success. And the only thing is that I'm I'm not too much of a fan of the way people talk about him online because I'm really opposite to being one of his fans. I've always found it hard to, hard to like him. Uh, I, d- I did when I was a little bit younger, but obviously watching him... You know, you watch him say stuff like that as we were talking about in the post-match interviews and how full of himself he is. It's 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 hard to like him sometimes. It's exactly what Fraser Clark said. Not a massive fan, but you have to give him credit on the night. Yeah, you you have to. And um, this guy is set up for success, and and he's I guess it does it depends what you want to compare as success in in the pro game. Um, but everyone was saying like, ah, oh, he's not good enough for a world title. Does that just mean he's a he's a bad boxer? Then is that what we're doing in 2022? Is saying someone who's not winning a world title is a bad boxer or I just think a lot of people put that expectation on him because of what his dad achieved um, and because of how full of himself he is. Everyone says, ah, oh, do you know what I mean? If you like yourself that much, then go and go and be as successful as you want to. So um, I guess he's he's fallen short of some expectations, but you still you can't sit there and just because he hasn't won a world title say that he's a bad boxer by any means. He, he's, a, he's a great boxer and he showed that on Saturday. Yeah, he do. And, and we'll get on to what, what's next for Eubank in a bit. But I, something you've said there, and you kind of said the, the occasion might have got the better of Williams. And I, I agree. Yeah. I think there was a lot of bad blood between these two. They really didn't like each other. And this, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Williams, I thought, was, was perhaps trying to overcompensate um, for the fact that m- maybe he was a bit of an underdog, especially before the fight. Mm. Um, a-, a couple of questions. One, should he have been disqualified during the fight, Liam Williams? The headlocking, the pushing, the you know, kind of squeezed um, Eubank at one point. I know Eubank said after the fight he was amazed that Williams wasn't disqualified, but then Eubank also bit Williams. Yeah, yeah. He, so, said, he said in the same, in the same quote that he should have got dis- disqualified, but I bit him. I mean... I guess if Williams is playing like that, then Eubank's going to play like that. And I guess that that whole bite uh, thing with with Eubank was a reaction to how how Williams was uh, fighting. And it, do you know what I mean? Eubank said also in that in that same quote that um, that's what he was expecting. So why is he talking about it like he's shocked when he's watched? I'm sure he studied Williams before the fight and, and knew that's what he does. I mean, he. he employed the same tactics against um, Demetrius Andrade when, when he fought him for Andrade's belt he, he does this do you know what I mean no one was asking for disqualification or he's points not a to pretty be taken fighter. off he's not a pretty fighter but that's, that's what happens especially you know think about being in Eubank's position you're coming down to Cardiff and, and say you're Liam Williams you've got a guy that you don't like coming to your backyard do you know what I mean you've got you to gotta make it a formidable place for him and 
and yeah, Eubank strolled into his backyard, knocked him down four four times in what five rounds. You're not gonna be you're not gonna box pretty after that. You're gonna want to rough him up and, and try and get him on the level that he's put you on in the early rounds. So I think there was nothing shocking to me about how how Liam boxed, and I've seen fighters do worse and get away with it as well. So I think by no means should he have been disqualified. Ref had a you know a, gave him a, a lot of talking tos and gave him a, a few warnings. I guess. I, I don't know. Did they did they take any points away from him? In no, I don't. I, I don't think they did. But uh, I think Williams will get punished for something that he said before the fight and uh, after the fight. I was I was going through all the the back pages, all the headlines, yeah. and um, listening to all of the coverage on the radio. It was Talksport that picked up on this. Williams will be summoned before the British Boxing Board of Control for the comments that he made before the bout because he told the Telegraph. This is what he said: "Eubank makes my skin crawl every time I look at him. I deeply dislike the guy." Okay, fine. I want to kill him is what he added on the end of yeah. it. Now, it's boxing. David Hay, when he fought Belly, if, if you remember the animosity between those two. And, exactly. And, just... and Hay said it. and uh, It causes a, a debate because at the end of the day, kids watch boxing. Mm. It's not just a, a sport for, for adults. It's a sport yeah. for everyone. Not that it's a family sport because it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's two guys you know, going, going toe-to-toe and, and trying to hurt each other. But... Does that kind of language deserve a punishment? It's a hard one. Um, I think it depends more in the context of like you got to look at what he's saying. And I saw these, I saw this on Twitter as well. People, um, people talking about this massively, especially um, Adam Abramovitz, uh, a great boxing reporter who I follow on Twitter, was saying it um, and was saying how Wilder also said that, but and Wilder got loads of backlash for it. Mm. Whereas it's kind of gone under the radar what Williams has said, but. In in that context, right, when you're looking at it, comparing what Liam Williams said uh, to when Wilder said, it, I'm pretty sure he said it about Fury, but Wilder was saying it like he was deadly serious, like scarily, yeah. a bit in a sinister way. How he like how he wants to finish boxing with like a dead body on his record. Now that is that is seri- that it's is grotesque, like isn't it? Yeah. that is saying it like you're meaning it. But I think I'm not I'm not trying to do you know what I mean? Excuse him and and say it's like. Um, and a language barrier, but like a way of talking. I think when, like, especially in in Wales, you get someone angered and fired up, and they're gonna fight someone. I, I don't see those words are easy Max to. Pop world on a Wednesday yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> with his with his they're, Welsh accent, they're easy. To, they're easy to come out, but um, yeah, no, everyone in pop world's safe. I'm a okay, good. <laughs> I'm a civil guy, but but Liam isn't. You know, he's in the fight game. Yeah, and um, I think those words come out easily. I don't think he was. I don't. It's not a professional thing to say at the end of the day, and it's not an excusable thing to say. But I don't think he meant it. Obviously, he didn't mean it. He wasn't serious about it. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a declaration of an intention to actually kill someone. I just think, if he was, his head is already in the fight. He's in the zone. He wants to hurt someone. It just kind of fell out. And they also come from very different backgrounds. Yeah, Chris, exactly. Chris, Chris Eubank Jr. went to a private school. He lived in a mansion. That that is not the case for Liam Williams. Yeah, you, you, you probably get expelled from your private school if you, you, you pro- tell anyone yeah. you want to kill him on the playground. Do you know what I mean? You probably would. They'd probably try and kill you with a butter knife. But um, <laughs> let's talk what's next for Liam Williams. To be honest, and I will be honest, I had my money on Eubank before the fight. I really, yeah. I love William uh, Liam. Um, he's been on the podcast. He's a great guy with a lot of heart and a lot yeah. of passion. But after the loss to Bruno Andrade, I, I wasn't sure he'd be able to stop Chris. Um, uh, is it the end of Williams? I, I find it, it. I find it hard to believe that it's not. 
I agree with Barry Jones who said what on earth has happened to Williams his punching resistance what, what's happened yeah. and I also agree to an extent with Billy Joe Saunders who tweeted and not that you can really take anything that Billy Joe Saunders says <laughs> seriously but he tweeted that if you've been outboxed by Eubank then you know you've had a bad night what's next yeah. for Williams? I mean I think he can still perform at that level you know he had, he had moments in the fight where he was getting the better of Eubank that doesn't mean that he's obviously better than Eubank because do you know what I mean? The the scorecard showed that that he didn't. So, I think, I think he's found his level. I think that's what it is. But by no means should that mean that you have to retire uh, when you found that. But I just think he's he's hit a ceiling in his career where either he says right this is as good as I am, or he does everything in his power, which I assume a boxer will do everything in his power to break this ceiling, break this plateau of opposition he hasn't managed to beat, and just just try just try and develop i mean he's he's changed um changed gyms recently quite recently before the fight from um the ingle gym to now now training with adam booth um and obviously it's only been recent uh with him so maybe as time goes on as the months and years go on and he stays with adam booth maybe booth can unlock something from him and and get him that de- extra development he needs to to be beaten opposition like Eubank um, but we'll see you know time will tell I just don't think that you get your was it maybe I think his fourth loss of his career or his, his third yeah I'm pretty sure it was his fourth because it was two to Liam Smith and one to um, Demetrius Andrade so the fourth one there I mean that's that's that just shows you're in competitive fights and all his losses have been against world class opposition yeah I, I, I still don't think he's going to get another world title fight though no I think I think that's probably out of it now and I think this fight was a decider for that yeah was like who is going to get another chance in their career and who isn't um, and now it looks like Eubank will and, and Williams won't but you know if he still trains and, and fights as hard as possible like his career depends on it because it does it does um, and that's that's the only way he can he knows how to put bread on the table how he earns money that's that's all he's ever done boxing yeah. I'm sure he's done stuff on the side but boxing has always been his bread and butter it's always always the main part and you know he can make that his focus uh, now more than ever because now is a more important time than ever he needs to show that he can have better days at the office than, than what he provided Saturday night it's just a shame it didn't all fall into place it would have been fairy tale stuff um, having it in Cardiff having all the all the home fans cheering him on um, but it, it didn't work out that way but that doesn't mean he should say say goodbye to his career yet he's still young I think he's I think he's either 29 or 30 so um, he's he's got a few fights left in the tank and you know, even even if he doesn't win them, you know he's going to bring the fight. He's coming to win, and it's always exciting with him. Yeah, it is always exciting with Eubank as well. Because as for what's next for him, if it's Conor Ben, how, how crazy would that be? But it, I don't think it will be. Yeah. Um, we know that Conor Ben wants to recreate history and fight him at catchweight level. Eubanks was, responded to that and said, "It's a couple of years off. Ben needs to fill out." Uh, a more realistic mm. option is probably Gennady Golovkin, the IBF middleweight champion. But again, Golovkin still needs to fight uh, Ryota Murata so I doubt Eubank will wait around for that you've got Billy Joe Saunders the man who handed Eubank his first ever defeat way back in 2014 an all British title fight I think it was Ben Shalom that said that's all people want to see like below AJ and Tyson Fury that's the fight everyone wants um, I'd up a big game though with that fight yeah saying that, again but. a lot of people want to see it but I don't know if that's going to happen um, and, and there's also maybe even a score to settle with Kel Brook um, should he beat Amir Khan on yeah. the 19th a bit of payback for him stealing the Golovkin fight 
in 2016. And then there's Bruno Andrade as well, uh, the man who Liam Williams lost to uh, at the back end of last year. What's next for Eubank? Plenty of options. I think it's about choosing the right one, uh, the one that's going to work, the one that can can actually work. But I I don't know what's next for him. I I mean, he's got so many options, as, as you listed off then, but that's the thing we've seen a lot of inact- uh, inactivity in his career before that's why do you know what I mean he's what 32 33 and he hasn't had the best opportunities as you say he he lost the he lost the chance of having the Golovkin fight mm. and Cal Brook t- uh, took over but that was six years ago yeah exactly and and there hasn't been there hasn't been much level from him since or much talk about him fighting anyone um, as big as that and I feel like there was had there been so much talk of that fight over the years that if he can secure the Golovkin fight he, I mean he's going to want that because that, that's going to be the, the one that pays the most out of all of those fighters and, and there's also if you're fighting Kel Brook again you're fighting a fighter that's it's all but finished yeah and what does that do for your credibility it does it does nothing at least with Liam Williams you've got a hungry competitor in front I, I give a lot of credit to Chris Eubank I don't think Liam Williams is, is an easy easy victory at all yeah. I think that, that he, he deserves a lot of credit for that fight but Again, like I always say, when you're fighting people at the end of their careers, like Kel Brook, is there any credibility, credibility in that? It's just a bit pointless, isn't it? You, you're you wanting to go somewhere that you can fight someone that's going to level you up and, and it's going to be, it's got to be career-defining and it's got to be a legacy fight now, something that people look back on in 10 years, talk about Chris Eubank and say, oh, remember when he fought him? Mm. You know, a lot of people like us, like me and you, are going to say, remember when he fought Williams? But the people who are a bit more detached from boxing need a serious one that, you know, two two household names. As we said, Eubank is a household name. He needs an, another one right now. And I don't know how easy it is to secure the Golovkin fight, but I think he needs to try and put all his eggs in, in that basket. Or, as you said, revenge on uh, with <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders would be... I, I, can't, see him, I can't see him beating him, but... Um, would be an insane night of boxing. Yeah, yeah, it, and and it would be and a huge bad, result. bad blood there as well. Yeah, so that 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 is a great isn't a great domestic fight, and what I think a winner of between those two would put the other guy on on to uh, to fight for a world title. Then yeah, puts you on a different pedestal completely. Um, and, and the whole card in Cardiff was really impressive on Saturday night. Yeah. Clarissa Shields on a UK debut, very nice and comfortable on the undercard of. Uh, Eubank and Williams she dominated from start to finish in that points victory against a very brave actually I thought Emma Carlson I thought she put up a really good fight yeah. Emma um, uh, did she see the beef with uh, Savannah Marshall well that's what end. that's what I was going to say <laughs> it doesn't look like Shields' IBF WBA and WBC titles are going anywhere unless Savannah Marshall gets in there she was sat ringside like you said and there was beef at the end and it all got very tasty with those two and yeah. that, um, you know, I know Marshall has, has first got to get past her defence with um, Femke Hermans, doesn't she, next month. But I think there is pressure on Ben Shalom to, to get this fight done. People want to see it, Max. I think this is the um, second best women's fight you can get in the whole of women's boxing I agree. outside of Taylor and Serrano. Because obviously we, we're getting that um, in a couple months' time and there is not a, there is not a better fight because... Look, Taylor and Serrano are kind of battling battling out for um, pound for pound number one in, in the women's rankings and the only person you can put in that number one bracket is Clarissa Shields um, and the only other you know competitor someone that will give her um, her hardest fight the only person there for her that's going to do that is Savannah Marshall you know we've seen we've seen Marshall beat her in the amateurs um, and I I don't know if, if Shields lost again in the amateurs if that Savannah Marshall might I might be wrong but I think she might be the only person to beat 
shields in amateur and pro. So, so that there is there is no other option. There is no other option for either of them. Yeah, they can keep picking top five opponents like Emma Kozin, who's 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 a great fighter as well. She's undefeated. Mm. Um, young girl as well. She'll go again, and and probably great experience for her to to be fighting Clarissa Shields. But that doesn't do anything for Clarissa Shields when you've got Savannah Marshall waiting there. So this is this is a, their paths have to cross. It has to happen. They're the only two champions in their divisions, um, and there's there's history there. And there's bad blood there, as we saw after Shields' fight when they were talking to each other. So, yeah, it's got to be done. There's massive pressure there for um, Ben Shalom, and he, he needs to make it as soon as possible. He's a name that keeps going up, Ben Shalom. Yeah. He, he's not going away, this guy, and he and actually he's got some really good fighters in his promotion. Yeah, he's uh, the, the boxer Sky Sports stable now. Uh, I think he's done really well with it. He saw an opportunity when Matchroom left Sky to do something, uh, and he, he jumped out, and he's been putting on been putting on great shows uh, ever since obviously I don't think the the caliber of um of fighters that he has can compete with you know Matchroom in the zone right now and and big Eddie Hearn but he's done really well and I was interested to see where Sky were gonna go after Matchroom left I thought is that it for them with boxing now but you know Ben Shalom's put his foot down and said no it's not and and it is what I got to show for it so if he can make fights like Marshall and Shields then that's just going to give him more credibility and and more respect, and you know I'll I'll speak I'll I'll not stop speaking highly of him if he can uh, if he can put that fight on. Yeah, I can imagine Eddie Hearns looking over his shoulder um, quite precariously. A bit, yeah, yeah, um, and a big shout out as well to Caroline Debar who began a professional debut uh, with a win, professional boxing career with a win over uh, Vader Masquate on Saturday night, and again she landed only clean shot. She won sixty to fifty four over six rounds. She didn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, no. Um, I think you can't get a better a better pro debut than that from Caroline Dubois. Was um, against an older fighter, though. Yeah, of course you're not. You know, especially as a um, as an Olympian, you're not going to give be given the hardest fight straight away. I mean, to be fair, Olympians going into the pro games are, are much less protected and are given bigger fights quick, uh, more quickly than someone who might start from the ground up. But um, yeah, I think Dubois, if she just keeps putting out performances like that, she's going to see a see herself at the top of the ranking soon and hopefully be fighting for a uh, for a title but great performance from her great debut performance she didn't look nervous at all did she, she she's so young she, I think she's only 21 20, I think yeah uh, and when, uh, I don't know if that's right is she only 21? I think 21 or 22 yeah, she's, she's young and when, I remember when we met her at the Olympic qualifiers mm. and do you remember how nervous she was yeah and yeah. she was she was honestly she, she was shaking with nerves and, and we saw her after I think she caught she's one of the ones that qualified early didn't she yeah and I remember thinking she she was so young at the time she was such a mess at the time because mm. she, she didn't feel like she performed as well and um, she's clearly grown a lot with the with the Olympics and, and with her pro debut and um, she'll go far I'm sure uh, and in boxing finally before we go into the football a few developments in the race for uh, to fight George Cambosas Jr yeah. Vasil Lomachenko tweeted on Saturday night and I saw this I thought of you that he's made an offer and that, and that was in between the other fight you were watching Jesse Rodriguez's win over Carlos Cuedras to, yes, to yes. Uh, capture the £115 um, WBC title and then there's Devin Haney as well he said he's, confi- he's confident I think it was Haney actually that tweeted uh, Cambosas so I think Lomachenko tweeted and Haney was Report. the one that spoke up during the um, Rodriguez fight Okay, but he's also in the mix so before we move on to football who do you really think wins that bidding war? I think... As I said, Lomachenko is almost like because he's lost, he he lost that Lopez fight and he he hasn't got his hands on a, a title since. But he's been beating good guys since. I just feel like he's he is naturally going to be put on the back burner a lot more. But I think he's a dark horse out of the lightweights now. 
because I think he's got the ability to beat anyone on his day. He's got the ability to beat anyone in that division, but he can't call those shots and he can't make those statements because what he says is of less value because he's not a champion. Um, so I think I think it's Haney and Cambosis that are, are going to want to get the fight done. But I did see I was scrolling through Twitter and saw Cambosis say something about Haney trying to duck him or Haney being scared or something because they, I don't know if there's been any advancements in the, in talks of them getting a fight. So that's the one that needs to be done realistically. When I look at this and, and I look at the champions in in each division, they they just seem as no brainers to me. You know, you've got Cambosis with all but one bout, and you've got Haney with the one bout that Cambosis doesn't have why why are you not going to fight why is that not going to happen do you know what I mean it, it, it it's frustrating because it's the only sport where you can see two very clear competitors yeah, and, and, and you put them together and it might not happen yeah. it's, it's so bizarre in every other sport the, the top the top athletes compete against the top athletes yeah, in boxing it just doesn't seem to happen for yeah. whatever reason um, so it is interesting but it's all talk at the moment and we'll see what happens a lot of talk and we'll move on to football and we're at the uni of derby we both live in derby and uh, the whole derby county situation is and it's, it's chaos yeah it's, it's very chaotic <laughs> it's very sad and very messy yeah this week we've had progress mel morris the former chairman and owner has said to to middlesbrough and wickham who've got uh lawsuits against derby we're trying to sue derby he said to the he said to them look to both of them look sue me instead this, this is my mess this is not the football club's mess he said i invite barrow and a due course Wickham if they so wish to take their claims to the High Court against me personally. So the question is, why is it taking them this long? But then you've also got to say, okay, fair play, you've done the right thing. It's taking you a long time to do it. Um, it's, it's, it's it's all to do with the legal stuff. And but but finally, he's done the right thing. So it looks like there's a step in the right direction for Derby. Saying that we've said that so many times, it looks like maybe we're making progress and we're not. Um, but at least something's been done Mel Morris has perked up he said something a lot of people still dislike him a lot of people won't believe it until it happens and no one's getting their hopes up because we've got until the 1st of March we've got what a couple of weeks now is it, what is, is that like 1st of March is the deadline that we've been given a deadline if they, they don't sort it they have to have a bidder by the 1st they have to have yeah someone who's going to buy the club take over. yeah and to financially take over if by not, the 1st of just, March they're done yeah they fold uh, it's very it's, so so we're working oh, I did not know there was like a date on it it was the 1st it. of Feb but they got an extension so oh they're working on a very gosh. tight they got, deadline they got an EEC <laughs> yeah, they did they, they got an they LSR <laughs> um, and so Mel, Mel Morris has essentially said look because one of the big things about people not wanting to buy Derby is that you're buying Derby and you've got two two football clubs putting lawsuits in against you Mel Morris has said I'll take that out of the equation just sue me instead which I don't even know I don't even know if he can do that. I don't know yeah. legally don't know how it works. That, but anyway, yeah. that's what's happening with Derby. And I went to that march before Derby played yeah, Birmingham City. Yeah, you, you were on reporting there. Oh, it was, was it just crazy? the most incredible thing I've ever done in football. You had some crazy pictures from that, the, everyone with the banners. and was, They look like an army. It's it the just best, looked like an army of people. Best reaction on Instagram I've ever had, by the way. It's Is like it? I've never had so many likes on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but it was... I'm not surprised, though. It, it was incredible it, it was just incredible it was you, you get goosebumps thinking about it it was it was just remarkable when how their videos of you running to the, to the car to <laughs> and we were we were just well. we were trying to get every time we stopped to interview someone we had to get back in front of t- 10,000 people marching through Derby I've never seen so many people in Derby yeah, yeah. Um, and even the Birmingham fans joined in and they were pretty disgraceful at the game the Birmingham fans but um, I think Derby got their revenge when with four with minutes left in the game, they they scored two goals and it uh, got a point out of it. But yeah, yeah it was the, the uh, 
I swear I saw the goal, the second one. Yeah, the, the it was bicycle be- kick. From- Felix overhead kick. <laughs> and uh, he, we thought he dislocated the his shoulder. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. And I think he's okay. He's, I think he just picked up he's an injury right. with it. I don't think it was a dislocation. Um, but I've never seen a press box erupt. A press box erupt like yeah, it did. It let alone the stadium. The press box erupted. It was just because everyone's backing Darby everyone's rooting for Darby yeah you know they, you got to try and stay neutral and stay pro- as professional as possible but you know like who is going to be um, supporting Derby and a lot of the reporters there are like yeah. do you know what I mean it's either their natural club or because of reporting for it, for that club over the amount of years you naturally do kind of they just appeal to you and, and you kind of have a working relationship with them don't you so I'm not surprised they all um, it must have been such it a was, cathartic moment it, it was great even Henry went even Henry Winter cracked a smile. Uh, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah, um, you, know that's, and, you know that's a serious, serious happy moment. Yeah. If, uh, if Henry Winter's smiling, and and they're actually the moments you don't forget. I'll, I'll never forget Bielik scoring that goal, and it was the biggest championship attendance of the season as well. So, yeah. what a day for Derby, and hopefully, like I said, with Mel now coming out and, and inviting Wickham and Middlesbrough to take their claims against him in the High Court. Let's hope that's a step in the right direction. Uh, as for the FA Cup, were you watching? Yep, of course. Um, I mean, it was the first. First, I've got to see Liverpool for I think a couple of weeks now. Breeze um, past Cardiff, easy. Yeah, well, the first half was I mean it was really poor to be honest. Mm. Uh, I, I wasn't happy with it, and Cardiff did well to to hold out and kind of not not let us pass. I think we had one shot on target in the first half, um, and obviously you know being being from Wales. Um, yeah, is, is it conflicted interest for you? No, nah, it's not at all. It's, it's a no brainer because um, I don't. Obviously, I have I kind of have relations to Cardiff, but it's more in the fact that a lot of my mates are, are fans there, and they were up at Anfield uh, uh, yesterday, so that they had a great time. And fair play to to the uh, away. I, I know how how good um, Cardiff the Cardiff fan base is, and they proved that at Anfield as well yesterday. Um, I think they sold out the away end, and they put put on a great show, and was giving it big into the players. So you, you can't fault that. Do you know what I mean? That's what you have to do, especially in the FA Cup. Uh, try and get your get your team yeah. to spur on a bit of cut magic, and I guess you could say say they did to a degree um, with Harley, Harvey Elliott back as well, who scored a goal and and looked yeah. the best he's, he's I, ever. He looked. was on fire. He he just picked up straight away, like hit the ground running, and I think people forget he was starting for us before his injury in, in September, um, and was in, was in great form then. But I don't think I've seen him play like that. And off the bench as well, Luis Diaz. Come on, that was it. Um, Got an assist straight away. Looked really impressive. Um, you know, as Cardiff were like a bit discombobulated at the back, they didn't know if it was a, a foul or something, and Diaz just came in straight away. Instinct that is, that is a, w- a winger's instinct. Take the ball off, play it into the box. Um, and I think that set up Minamino's goal. So he he looks everything we want him to look like. You know, for for I think when you put all the finances together, what we paid for him is near fifty mil. So you want that, um, but it's just an immediate impact from him immediate impact from Elliot as well and that's that's perfect that is what I that's what I need to see in Liverpool players coming off the bench that's what and you need to see in the FA Cup yeah. I know you said you had a poor first half but you took the game seriously where Bournemouth didn't against yeah. Boreham Wood West Ham didn't against Kidderminster and and it's Newcastle didn't get against Cambridge in the that's last what round for these upsets isn't it it drives me these slip-ups. Chelsea didn't get to Plymouth it drives me crazy especially Scott Parker and Bournemouth really wound me up I love the fact that Boreham would beat Bournemouth yeah, more than say. anything in the world and I'm going to look straight into the camera <laughs> Luke Garrard will be a Premier League manager I promise you Luke Garrard will manage in the Premier League one day 
But you've heard it here first, people. Yeah, you have, and he will. But Scott Parker, I was so disappointed in Scott Parker. Um, look, Bournemouth were unlucky. They, they had a goal that was completely fine, and they ruled it for offside. It wasn't offside; it was a goal. The amount of times they should have scored in that game, Bournemouth rode their luck. Luke Garrard admitted that Bournemouth rode their luck, but it drives me crazy how you can start against a dangerous side like Bournemouth, a second team. How you can field a, a second eleven? Where's the respect? One for the for one for Bournemouth, two for the competition, and three. For, for the, the fans. paying fans that go to that game, you want to watch decent football and you want to watch your team comfortably beat a national league side. I do not understand it. Having having seen what happened at Kidderminster the previous day, with Kidderminster, <laughs> they were so they were so cruel what happened against West Ham uh, with the two late goals. Declan Rice celebrating like Michael Jackson was pathetic. Oh as well. yeah, he was. Uh, um, he's full of passion. But, <laughs> no, I just, it drives me crazy. And boring with the giant killers. David beat Goliath and and two right. They, they deserved it. Um, nine changes for Bournemouth I've got in my notes nine changes the complacency is yeah. unfathomable um, 74 places between the two sides and you get, you're getting knocked out 74 places if, if I were a Bournemouth fan I would be fuming um, but as for Bournemouth so much praise for them they haven't conceded a goal in all five games so far I think they're the only team in the FA Cup that started I think they're the only team in the FA Cup that had, didn't come in in I think this round or the last round that hasn't conceded a goal so far Um but like I said, Billing should have scored for Bournemouth. Christie should have scored for Bournemouth. Solanke sh- should have scored for Bournemouth. But it doesn't matter because that's the magic of the FA Cup. That's what happens. Isn't Luke it? Garrard was in tears at the end. Um, and it, at the end of the day, it was 11 men versus 11 men and Bournemouth didn't show up. That's that's what it can boil down to sometimes, especially in this cup. Um, and yeah, as, as you said, you would have thought Scott Parker would have taken notes from the previous games from what he's seen to other clubs yeah, they were slow they were passive they lacked authority they were flat they lacked energy so disappointed in Scott Parker that's the thing I, I see like I understand as well as if you put yourself in the in the shoes of a manager and think look it's, it's February kind of coming just off the end of January and, and Christmas busy busy schedule for any team um, so you're going to want to rotate you're going to want to shuffle players around but nine changes that's just that's just a joke that just shows you the complacency and and uh, the fact that's but that's what I love Parker thinking oh part of second team will probably breeze past Bournemouth it's the beauty of the FA Cup and then, and then the that happens it's, it's insane I, I love seeing upsets and, uh, <laughs> no, so do I I love the underdog story but at amazing, the same time it? it really it like it could have been avoided my, it's one of my big bugbears like as much as I love the underdog story I, I hate the fact that managers of these these bigger clubs like Bournemouth and David Moyes at West Ham they, they just don't take not it wasn't maybe it's not David Moyes maybe it's the players as well they, they don't take these games seriously because they just they assume they're going to go and breeze past these smaller clubs that are dangerous in their own right Boreham Wood are only the 10th non-league side to make the 5th round since the 2nd World War and Jeez. and they showed exactly why and uh, really happy for Mark Ricketts who scored the goal yeah I was going to say as as for the goal scorer isn't it like his second goal in 200 games or something something like something that crazy and, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's getting on a bit um but and and it even goes down to Bournemouth's goalkeeper Freddie Woodman, who we've got a mate who's a Bournemouth fan. I said to him, "What, what is what is going on there? Every yeah. time he got the ball, he looked nervous. He kept uh, kicking it out of kicking it, you know, out of play off off the park. So yeah, so many things that you can talk about with that game. But at the end of the day, Bournemouth are through. They're playing Everton in the next round. Huge. huge uh, the them. chairman's a massive Chelsea fan, so they're going to Goodison Park. They're going to come up against Frank Lampard's Everton." And it's fairy tale, and it's a fairy tale. It's why I love the FA Cup. It's why it's my favourite tournament in football. Um, 
So it was it was a great weekend for Forest as well. Is that is that would you say it's your favourite tournament in club football or the whole of football? Whole of football. Swear. Love the FA Cup. It's given me over Euros and load, World Cup. Oh, completely. I, I love the FA Cup. It's given I love me that. That's great such opportunities, a... great memories. Yeah. I remember going with Barnet to uh, Brentford to Sheffield United. Just so many memories I've got with attached to the FA Cup. Associated and, with it. Um, yeah. Saw Chelsea beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final that was great when uh, Andy Carroll thought he'd scored and he hadn't um, <laughs> so yeah I've just yeah, got not good memories for me but uh, exactly uh, but as, as long as they're nice for you no that's that's good though because you know you ask you ask most football fans they're going to say like World Cup or, or Champions League special. aren't they I just think it's so special There's some, there is just something different about it isn't there and uh, like, who knows how, if it would be Everton they're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup it's, it's crazy I would love I would love for them to just just Let's let's pray for Frank Lampard. I'll just one bad day at the office. I know his first game was uh, uh, amazing, yeah, amazing breeze, for Everton, four-one against Brentford. Yeah. But um, let's just hope something goes wrong with Goodison. Obviously, I'm going to hope for Everton to lose <laughs> anyway, naturally. But um, you know, you you, you can't watch uh, Bournemouth do that and then and then not have a little soft spot for them. You, exactly, you have to, you exactly. Have to root for them. And um, yeah, I think I think the whole country will be rooting for them against Everton. Um, but that, that'll be a great game. That's on second of March, I think. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say as well if you watch the Forest game just another example oh yeah another, another example of a manager going to a ground in the league below and I've no idea why Brendan Rodgers thought uh, and maybe he didn't maybe the, the, the players didn't seem up for it at all the Leicester players and uh, Nottingham Forest played them off the park from from start to finish yeah. I think Steve Cooper's a brilliant manager sort of He's with Swansea manager, last season yeah. Swansea's team last season were a mid-table team but they had Steve Cooper who, when he got to uh, Nottingham Forest, were in the relegation zone, and now they're pushing for the playoffs. He, he's brilliant. So yeah, he's, he does leave an impact. And um, I've watched a couple of Forest games. I've watched the um, the Derby Forest game, and obviously they they played really well there as well. So um, yeah, it's uh, as you said, it's just another it's another um, example of not not necessarily you know it's not as big a giant killing as no. like Bournemouth and, and Bournemouth for example, but it's. It's still it's still true to to how Premier League sides can just be complacent in this cup, um, but fair play to Forest as well. That's the same tournament that they beat Arsenal in, so yep. they've got Arsenal and Leicester on their uh, on their body list of of teams that they beat in the FA Cup. That's you know you, you can't fault that. Fair play to them. See how far they go. Um, but I, th- I think that's it from the boxing and football. It's, it's been a, a mad week of sport uh, and a mad few weeks of sport. Raf and the Dull and the tennis, the Winter Olympics kicking off. Uh, Chris Eubank the FA Cup now we're back uh, to the Premier League and I think we've got midweek action and we've even got a, a League Cup final to look forward to in the, the not so distant future with Chelsea and Liverpool yeah so that's we'll, this month isn't it yeah the this month. We'll, we'll talk about that nearer the time um, but yeah cheers for listening guys Yeah. again it's great to be back on the Middleman Podcast and we'll always bring you as much as we can as much as we can uh, when we can new uni term starting literally uh, from tomorrow but uh, the the podcast isn't going anywhere, guys. Just bear with us. Maybe sometimes it uh, going might get tough, and uh, we'll be able to get as much content out there. But ideally, uh, you know, me and know we talk about this, and we say every every week. Ideally, sometimes it doesn't go to plan, but it just I I always find that when um when we we don't have an episode like that close to each other we just have loads more stories and it's, they just make yeah. for better episodes because we just catch up with um with crazy energy and, and with crazy headlines so i'll start watching more of the uh the winter olympics as well so yeah i think i'm going to as whatever well. stories come from then 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 i don't come in here you say oh do you watch the olympics like mm-hmm. no, I, I, I haven't watched a lot either yeah I'll, I'll try and get more clued up on that so i can uh, tell you about how 
how many flips they, uh, how many backflips the skier done one time to get a gold medal. But cool, cool. <laughs> nice one. Thanks, thanks for tuning in, guys, and um, yeah.